Welcome to Caesars Insiders Podcast. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing leading Caesars in the industry for a light conversation about anything from their favorite drinks to favorite vendor to key influencers, biggest accomplishments and failures, myths they like to debunk, advice they want to give out, and even some tips they can extend to the eager vendor who's knocking on their door. Join us for a light talk. I encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Uh, so ladies and, gen- and gentlemen, please meet Yoni. Uh, Yoni is the Director of Information Security over at Bluevine, a leading payment solution provider. A bit about Yoni. Yoni started his career as an information security architect, moved on to a security analyst position, spent some time as a consultant, and even dabbled some with information with security operations before joining Bluevine as their Director of Information Security and has been in that position for the past four years. Uh, also, Yoni is a certified CISSP. Um, I'm not sure if I captured everything here, Yoni. So if you want to, you know, add to that, that would be a perfect time. Yeah, thank you for the introduction. Uh, one thing about me, uh, before I joined All Cloud, I actually relocated to Nigeria and uh, worked there for uh, about a year in one of the largest uh, banks in Africa. Uh, oh. So that was uh, quite interesting working in another continent with different culture, different people, uh, you know, even different language. Like the English is, is different than what you used to. Yeah. Uh, so that was uh, quite an experience. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I think I've heard about that project. That was probably five, six years ago, right? Yeah, that was uh, five years ago, yeah. Yeah, and that was uh, probably through a certain um, consulting company I'm familiar with, I think. Um, yeah. I was yeah. working as part of uh, MacTech in, in Nigeria. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, that certainly sounds like an interesting experience. I've never been, well, I've never been to Africa, actually, anywhere in Africa. That's uh, one of the mm-hmm. continents I should visit someday. Um, so yeah. just uh, just two uh, quick uh, icebreaker questions here, uh, just for the audience to get to know you better. Uh, in terms of marital status, are you married, single? Yes, yeah, so I'm married uh, with uh, one uh, kid. I'm married for uh, the last four years. Uh, my kid is uh, one ma- one year and nine months. And mm-hmm. Yeah, she's uh, getting very big. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, amazing to see that. It's a beautiful age. Uh, wait for a couple of more months, maybe six months. This this is when they start getting more challenging, I think. If yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. I heard about the notorious uh, two years. Terrible two. After the get to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and usually I also uh, ask my in my my colleagues that I talk with, I ask them what uh, their favorite drink is. Um, so I don't have like a favorite drink, but uh, generally I like a uh, wheat beer. Uh, okay. Like any wheat beer, Pine uh, Stefan, uh, so you should definitely uh, get in touch with uh, another CISO that I interviewed lately. He's the CISO of Carlsberg. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just spoke to him the other day and they have, they actually have 150 brands over at Carlsberg and more than 600 types of beers, like for the different, for the different brands. They also have uh, a bar uh, over at their HQ in Copenhagen. And I think they open it every day at four, 
And the only condition is that you need to to stop working by the time you walk into the bar, because mm. you know. But yeah, uh, that's a nice policy. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice policy, and you can drink. You need to have a wheat bill, but uh, definitely look. Well, you know. I don't know, but I'm assuming because they have 150 brands. So I'm assuming some of them, I'm assuming they do have some wheat beers, but uh, yeah. Okay, yes. so that's definitely a change. You know, most of the, most CISOs I interview, their favorite drink is whiskey. And actually my, my favorite drink is also single malt uh, scotch as well. Um, but yeah, wheat beers. Yeah, I'm not a one. big whiskey drinker. I'm more yeah. like a beer drinker. Well, maybe you haven't found the right one, but uh, yeah, we could definitely work on that. Um, so yeah, let, let's dive right in. And as I told you in the preliminary call, uh, this is a sort of like a more of a personal angle on, on the CISO life. And my goal here is to get to know you better and to educate our guests and listeners on how it is that you think and what what it is that's that, that are that's interesting to you and you know at the end of the day um what would be what do they need to know about you in order to be able to to approach you better and not to annoy as much because i do know that a lot of CISOs are you know overburdened and overcrowded with a lot of uh, linkedin requests email phone calls and so on and we'll dive into that so again, this is a very straight talk and I'll be asking a bunch of questions here um, again with the goal of getting to know you better. So let's get started. Um, so what's one thing you wish you had known when you begin your career? Uh, actually, I saw this question. Uh, I'm not sure if there's like anything I would like to know, but, you know when I started this, uh, I think, you know, one of the, the best things is to learn from mistakes and you know, learn from experience. So no one can actually like give you all the answers and you'll be like the best. You need to experience, you need to, to make mistakes and, and it takes time, you know, there's no shortcuts. Yeah. No, uh, and I, I totally agree, you know, and I think a lot of the questions that will follow up will touch on that as well, because uh, like personally, I think that, um, you know, Failures are the biggest opportunities that you have to learn as a human being. I know, you know, I know that about myself. Like I learned more than my failures than any of my successes. And I think a lot of much more successful individuals have been saying that for a long time. Uh, but, you know, personally, I know that uh, if someone had told me, well, no, I never asked myself that question, what we, uh, I wish I would known. Uh, but I think I have uh, sort of an answer here, but you know, it, it takes time to, to mature with, 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 that, uh, with that specific insight. And again, there, there's no like specific right or wrong questions here or, or answers actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, and c going down that path and, you know, just uh, uh, drilling down some more because you have mentioned, you know, some failures. Can can you name like one biggest failure and like the the key takeaway out of that? Yeah, that's a good question. So I can't think like of huge failures. You know, everybody makes mistakes. Uh, some are bigger than others. But I think like one failure that I can think about, and it's more like you know, failure in the result is um, the first uh, team member that, uh, that joined, uh, joined me, joined the security team, 
uh, decided to leave the team after uh, about uh, one year, eight months uh, working in the company. And that was kind of failure because, um, you know, th th there wasn't a, a good match, you know, and that's something that I didn't uh, see it first. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot, a lot from, you know, that failure, the, you know, that uh, in, in, you know, team member that left uh, the team. Uh, I learned a lot, you know, to listen to, to what my teammates, uh, you know, to listen to the problems, listen to what they have to say, always listen. Never like say what you want them to do, like always listen, ask for their expertise. And, and that's something you, you can't do enough, you know, listen to people and not just talk. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, so, so that was, th that, that, this is what you consider your, like one of the biggest failures. And, uh, you know, um, I think Evan run uh, my company for 11 years now, Obviously, I've seen a lot of people come and go, um, and and I can definitely understand the frustration here. Um, but you know, having touched on that, what would you say your biggest accomplishment uh, was? Yeah. So when I joined Bluevine, I was handling security by myself. Like I was the first security person. I also handled IT, and that was like very very challenging. You know, to be the only person uh, to do that. Uh, and after four years uh, as the head of uh, information security, uh, you know, I, I added some people to my team. So I'm not the only one. Uh, we have like dedicated IT team. Uh, so I think that was like the biggest, uh, biggest accomplishment, you know, uh, get from the point where you're doing everything by yourself to the point where you have a team, you have several teams and uh, you can work with. Uh, and that's a that's the point where you can do a lot more, you know, as a, as the head of information security, um, something that you can do when you're just a single person. Yeah, and, and I think and I think uh, building up a team and you know even more than that, building processes that will last and outlast you even is a big uh, it's a big accomplishment and it's a big uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, uh, it's very fulfilling, I think, to to know that you built something that would last, would outlast you. And it, actually, I I heard a similar answer for a bunch of other uh, CISOs that I I spoke with lately. So yeah, this is definitely this is definitely. I mean, I can definitely understand that and relate to it. Um, okay, uh, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. So I think one of the most important thing is to learn all security domains. Like you need to know a little bit about everything. So if you come from application security, you need to learn networking. You need to learn uh, identity management. You need to learn a lot, a lot of things from other domains. And I think that's a, you know, that's one of the things uh, that are more more important to see. So like to to see everything from high level. So you need to learn about all the means. Um, another thing that I think is important is to learn from everyone you interact with. So, you know, even when you talk to like developers and DevOps and, uh, you know, sometimes like uh, there a lot of arguments and, you know, a lot of issues and urgent stuff. Uh, but I think from every, every, you know, every event, 
you can learn. You can learn from that and from developers and from every issue you can learn from them, like how they think, how they solve problems. And that can help you, you know, that can help you in your own job. So I think that's a, an important thing. Um, another thing uh, I think is a good advice, you need to be prepared to work 24 seven. Like this is, it's not say like eight to five, it's 24 seven uh, being a CISO. So if you're used to eight to five and that's like, a, you know, your way to go, uh, you're probably not going to be a good CISO. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're talking specifically about yourself or about the team as a whole? Yeah, so when I'm saying like 24-7, doesn't mean like every day you work 24-7, but you know, you need to be prepared to work overnight and you know, during the weekend. Mm -hmm. And that goes for me and my team, of course. I'm not saying that happens all the time, but you need to be prepared for that. Yeah, so would you say that it's more of a like, CISO is a state of mind rather than a job? Exactly, it's a state of mind. You can think about security, you can think about you know, incidents, you can think about a lot of things related to your job during the night, like in yeah. the morning when you wake up. It's like all the time, it's really a state of mind. Yeah, and I, and I can share, you know, that uh, I think the role of a CEO of, uh, of a small company such as myself, I think it's, it's the same. It's, you know, it's a state of mind. You, you go to sleep with it, you wake up with it, sometimes you even dream of it, but... Uh, I, I can I can relate to that. So so, uh, what do you feel about the role of a CISO that actually is part of the IT organization and reports directly to the CTO? Do you feel I mean uh, you know in some organizations CISOs report to to higher management, uh, in others they they're a part they're an integral part of the IT uh, department, and obviously there are pros and cons, and you know. Uh, and usually it's around conflict of interest, segregation of duties and so on and so forth. But since you're part of uh, the, the same group that, you know, that, that's responsible for IT and, you know, developing the IT system in, in your company, what do you feel that your role, I mean, do you, can you share a bit about the pros and cons about that? Yeah, so in Bluevan, the security team reports to the CTO um, I'm guessing um, most companies have that the same uh, the same configuration. I think that's that's probably the best one because you know the CTO views like the like the development process, the R&D process, sees the operations, sees security, sees it like from a high level. So it can make like decisions that you know are, like better for security or better for the development. They can do that trade off. Uh, I think uh, that's like a, that, that's what happens when the CTO manages uh, like the security. Um, when security is under IT and is a part of the development, I think in, in some place like security takes a second place to development and operations and sometimes like seen as a burden. Um, and that's probably not good for security. But, you know, maybe maybe the, the development operations works a bit faster when, when you know when it's under it management mm -hmm. okay but so all in all i think you would say that you feel 
well, would it be fair to assume that you feel that being a part of IT actually helps you to fulfill your job better than, than you would have been able to if you had reported to like someone else? Oh, so as I mentioned, like being under IT, security takes a second place. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's not good for security. When you're in security team, you want the best security. And, you know, when let's say the VPR and says like, you can't do that. And that happens too often. Um, you know, that can, that can damage like the security team, the, the, the culture, you know, of, of change of acceptance, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think when security is like a, like a brother to the R&D team, I think mm -hmm. that works the best. Yeah. So there's like a, there's like a, a counter, you know, pressure on both sides and that balances, that balances like security and operations. So that's, yeah. that's what I think. Got it. So yeah, and, and I've, I, I know a, a bunch of companies that have a similar setup to yours, whereas, you know, the ITA is actually parallel to, to whatever, to like, uh, no, I mean, the, the security, the information security is parallel to IT and, you know, and stand at the same line of like R&D, IT, and then security and, and yeah. So, and if they all report to the same manager usually, and they have equal, uh, equal footing, so it's usually better from, from what I've seen so far. Um, okay. What are the best resources that have helped you along the way in your career? And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking about everything. Like it could be vendors, employees, customers, uh, conferences, conventions, anything like that. Uh, so I think like the best resources uh, that helped me along the way are coworkers, or people that I work with. You learn a lot, a lot from people, not just technical stuff. You learn, you know, how they present uh, stuff. You learn how they talk to people, uh, how they, they change processes. You know, you learn from everyone. And so that's like one thing you can benefit from coworkers. And the other thing, I think um, most of the jobs that I, I worked in, uh, I got from coworkers that helped me get that job. Um, so I think it's very important like to, to keep uh, connections with, with like previous coworkers because they can help you someday you know, and you can help them. So it's important to keep that connections. Yeah, that's another answer that tends to repeat itself. It's all about the people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you actually name three people who have been the most influential to you? Yeah, um, so I can name a few. Um, I think the first, uh, my first security mentor uh, is one of the people that was very influential. It's called uh, Shyrod. Uh, he worked with me in uh, NetVision. Uh, he worked as a business consultant, a business technical consultant. Um, and he basically introduced me to the security world. He showed me like, uh, you know, white hacking, and stuff like that. And it was like very interesting to me. And that's what got me to, to the security world. Um, so that's the first one. The, the second one is Yaron Hakun, is the CEO of Absa Clubs uh, these days. And he was the manager, uh, my manager in my first security role. Um, basically he taught me, you know, everything about security, you know, from the first role. Um, and one of the best things I learned from him, you know, he did everything with so much ease uh, and 
and that's like priceless when you see someone that uh, you know talks with such an ease and you learn a lot from that yeah um, and the third person is uh, Bill Klav he's the CTO of Blueline mm. uh, I've been working for him I think the longest uh, from everyone that I worked with before uh, in the last four years uh, I think uh, some things I learned from him From him is like to be very open and communicative with uh, with everyone you know my teammates with with, with me uh, it's very important like to be open about uh, everything and communicate and show me like perspective you know um, so working with a lot of teams in blue vine you know keeping like the balance between security and business it taught me a lot about perspective and how to view security in blue vine And basically, you know, he guided me to reach where I am today, uh, managing the security team, having a lot, a lot of security operations. And that's something that I didn't have, like, in day one at Blue Bar. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm sure they appreciate it. And personally, I also know one of the, the people you've mentioned. And I think uh might be the reason that it is so calm. Well, I think... Uh, Well, when you're used to dealing with the giant waves when you surf like every other day, maybe that uh, builds like uh, an internal calmness to you. But uh, yeah, uh, what's the, what is the one common myth about your professional field that you want to debunk? Yeah, so I think one of the things is that uh, sometimes security um, seems to like, slow down development And doesn't seem like an enabler to the business and that's something that is is like a, a huge mistake it's like a myth I think security enables the business security provides more opportunities for the business so you know even if it you know sometimes it slows down the business it slows down development because of a, you know internal processes at the end it brings more business and eventually more money for the company Um, and the second thing, you know, I see security team as consultant to the development teams. Sometimes they have like security uh, uh, features they need to, uh, to add and they don't know exactly what they need to do. They need help from security teams. So we help them with that. So that actually speeds up development. So they don't need like to investigate a lot of, uh, to do a lot of research. And uh, so we hear from them to help them. And another thing that is a benefit from security, I think, it, it prevents from mistakes from happening. So, you know, sometimes like people approach me, like I can't do something, I'm getting blocked. And, you know, when I look into it, I see that they actually didn't do it in the right account. Maybe they, did, they tried to do it in the production account. So it's not like security is bad, but, you know, they, they, they did a mistake. They almost did a mistake and security prevented that. And if they would have made that mistake, maybe it would have taken like a whole day to fix that. Um, so at the end, I think security does help the development. And at the end, if there's like good internal processes, it can speed it up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I tend to agree about, uh, you know, security as being a business enabler. And I would actually expand it and also say security and compliance because, you know, Compliance is actually the driver that helps you sell more because a lot of uh, you know companies especially if you're in the b2b space 
a lot of your customers would require you to, you know, hold a bunch of certificates and, you know, to maintain a compliance program. And obviously, I mean, compliance is there to, to just provide you with a framework, right? At the end of the day, security is what you do and how you, and I mean, how you achieve security, whether true compliance or not, that, that's a different, uh, that's a different thing. But uh, I think security and compliance are huge business enablers, especially if when you go out, uh, when you sell in the US market or the European market. Um, mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and I, I mean, we, we've known each other briefly and you do know that, you know, I'm the CEO of a consulting group that we have, a I have a few companies under my belt and if you could step into my shoes as, as the, the CEO of, of uh, this consulting group, what would you have asked yourself that you think I did and what would you say, what would, what will be your advice to me? You know, like the best uh, key takeaway I can take, I can take home and I, I can go home with and, you know, ask myself, what is it that I didn't do? What is it that I didn't ask? What should I be talking to my customers with and about? Yeah, so I'm not sure if I understand the question correctly, but uh, like you're asking like what the CEO would ask a CISO? So like, let's say, so I know for a fact that a lot of chief information security officers uh, in a lot of uh, companies have a lot of a lot of what not to do as a vendor, a lot of you know things to avoid. So I'm assuming they also have like good advice for vendors of what what to do, what approach that they should take. Like for example, a lot of vendors out there you know, tend to do cold calls and, you know, just uh, bomb your emails and LinkedIn. And obviously this is a, a don't, but what would you think would provide you as a, as a customer? And I'm not, I mean, I'm asking about myself, but uh, you know, this is a general question, right? But what would be, what would provide you with the most value as a customer from a vendor that you don't know? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually get a lot, a lot of emails, uh, you know, from many, many vendors. Uh, I get a lot of LinkedIn, uh, you know, requests and messages. And, you know, I can't go over all of them. You know, that's, that's impossible. You know, sometimes, let, let's say I have like an endpoint management solution and I'm currently implementing something. And now I get like 10 emails about some endpoint management solution. I don't want to get it. Like, I'm not in a point where I can talk to all of them. Um, but one thing I always, like, um, say to vendors, like, send me some brochures. Send me some information about the solution. Like, I don't have one hour to meet with you now. But if you can send me some information about the solution, I can go over that, see if that is of any interest, and I will contact you. You know, if I'm looking for some solution, you know, it won't help if you if you connect to me and, uh, uh, you know, try to sell that to me, it needs to come from me. Like, if I'm looking for some solution, you know. Um, so I hope, like, my point gets uh, clear. Um, yeah, no, no, definitely. And uh, basically, I think you're saying you need, vendors need to stand out in the crowd and, you know, be able to have uh, an enticing enough, uh, you know, package that would pique your interest. And, and again, if you have a need, you have a need, right? And then you will reach out. But, uh, but the, exactly. I, th I think the key takeaway is to stand out in the crowd. 
that's exactly. how I interpret. And if you can send me something that I can read for five minutes and not meet with you a whole hour, I will probably look into your solution. I will, I will read that, I will be familiar with your solution and not just report to spam when I get that email. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, and you know, talking a, a bit more about that, what's the most annoying sales pitch you've encountered? Then I know you have a lot. If you can pick like one example. Oh. Yeah, so it was actually a recent, uh, recent case. Um, one of our existing vendors uh, released like a new, a new package and uh, we wanted uh, to like to activate the trial, test it out. And the salesperson wanted to understand exactly like what we're trying to accomplish with the solution and kept repeating that it's like very expensive and it's not for everyone, almost not trying to sell their product. Uh, so that was, a, that was very weird. Uh, I think what we were trying to do is to get to like to the decision makers that, uh, you know, handle the budget and uh, because uh, I'm not handling the budget, it's uh, something that the CTO does. Um, so I think they tried to get to the CTO, but they didn't understand like that I, I approve solutions. Like if there's a technical security solution we're looking for, I will, I will talk to Neil after I you know, research that and uh, I know that you know, it brings us value. I will get to near given the quota, uh, explain you know what's the value behind this product, and and get that approved. And uh, so it was it was very weird, and uh, uh, there were like two salesperson on that call, and the other sales guy tried like to stop him from continuing that repetition because he kept repeating like the same the same things, and yeah. he needed like to cut him from 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 the call. Uh, yeah. So that was the most annoying sales pitch. I've I have to say that that is pretty weird, um, but maybe he was on his way out from that company. I don't know. <laughs> so what is it that you, that you are looking for in a vendor? Yeah, so I, I think like the first thing I'm looking is compatibility to our infrastructure services application. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there. So if I'm looking again, like let's say endpoint management, uh, I'm looking for a solution for endpoint management. I want to understand that it works with, like, with our operating systems. Uh, it has uh, like, it works with the services that we need and uh, um, with our laptops. Uh, so that's something that is very important, compatibility. That's the first thing. And uh, the next thing is minimum management. So I want to be focused on using the solution. I don't want to manage backups, uh, uh, you know, updates. I want everything to be very, very simple. So one of the things, let's say you have like an amazing software, amazing security solution, but I need to install it on, on a server and I need to manage it. That's probably something that uh, I, I want like in a vendor, okay? If there's like an, an image that is wrapped and I, like every, uh, let's say every month they release an update, another image. And I, I think that would be the, mo the best option for us. So I'm looking for minimal management. Um, well, like, a that, like a SaaS solution? So like SaaS solution would probably work best for you? If possible, what were applicable, yeah. I mean. 
not everything. Yeah, exactly. It's very applicable, but sometimes even if it's like an on-premise solution, uh, it can have a lot of uh, approaches to management. Um, I think another thing we're looking for in a vendor is ability to connect to our SIM. And that's something that each vendor takes differently. Sometimes there's like no integration, nothing. You just get email alerts. So I think that's very important because when you can connect some solution to a SIM, it becomes a part of your, of your soft team. And now you can start alerting about, about like high severity issues and not just get emails that sometimes get, you know, sometimes you don't see them. Um, or you see them like after a few days. So when it's a part of your SIM sock, um, it's, uh, you know, we'll get that more, you'll get that fast. Um, another thing we're looking for a vendor is good uh, support SLA. Uh, we've actually seen a few vendors that respond very slow and they don't fix issues uh, fast enough. So that's something that is very important, but it's usually something you don't see, you know, when you start working, it's just after a couple of months. Okay. So uh, good SLA and uh, integration with Seam and uh, also um, to keep the product as simple as possible. So you wouldn't have too much of an overhead. Okay. Fair point. Mm -hmm. uh, so how can vendors actually connect with you in a non-intrusive manner? I mean, we know what not to do. We not not we know not to send any emails, not too many LinkedIn, uh, you know, requests. Obviously, no cold phones, no no cold calls. Sorry, uh, you have like a specific way in which you can say, yeah, this is how I want to be approached. Uh, that's a good question. So usually, I like to approach uh, vendors, you know, when I'm looking for some solution. If I want uh, to be approached, uh, I go to some, uh, uh, to some conference, you know, and I get approached by salespeople and, and I always like uh, try to look into new solutions and new products, even if you know, they're not compatible with us, just, just to hear it out, uh, to, to know these products and solutions. Um, so when I come to these conferences, you can approach me. Uh, you can also send me LinkedIn uh, messages. Sometimes I go over them and see that, but you know, if I get too many emails, uh, it goes to my spam. Yeah, yeah, that's the main problem with that. Um, do you have any uh, means or methods where our listeners can connect with you online? I mean, it's just uh, simply LinkedIn, Facebook, or do you have like a blog or anything else that you? Also, I think LinkedIn would be the best way. I do have a Facebook page, but I think everything relates to, uh, you know, to this profession should, should go through LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah I, I tend to agree. Uh, what's the single most important thing to you in your career? So I think the most important thing is the ability to, to keep learning and relearning. And I think that's like the only way to be you know, to be an expert in your field and to really like to, uh, um, you know, to advance. Uh, you always need to keep learning. And sometimes, you know, when you think you know something, it might be like uh, not correct and you need to relearn that. Um, so I think I relearned a lot of things from my colleagues, as I mentioned, uh, 
I learned a lot from them, and from other managers and executives. I always learn from them, and so that's very important. Mm -hmm. Constant learning, yeah. I've heard that a lot before, and I actually believe that as well. Um, and two last questions, because I want to be respectful of your time, and I know it's uh, getting, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's already evening for you. Um, so if you had unlimited funds, what would you do with your life? You know, some people would say they would continue working. Others say they would go on on a tropical island somewhere and just uh, read books or write books every day. What is yeah, it for so, you? It's a good question. I would probably do like a, a trip around the world, at least for a year, you know, uh, after many years of hard work, you know, and uh, during the, like the last six months, you know, in the, with the COVID-19, it's been like, you know, the last six months are like six years. <laughs> um, so I would definitely take a trip around the world, uh, but then I would come back and probably open a, like a startup company of my own. And uh, maybe, you know, maybe change some things in, in the world. You know, when you have unlimited funds, you can do a lot of things. Lot yeah, of good yeah. Things. Take, take an example out of Bill Gates. He's been doing a lot of good stuff, I think, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, okay, and last but not least, uh, did, did you have like any favorite read lately, any favorite book or anything that you, maybe a podcast, an interesting podcast to listen to or anything like that, that you would like to share with the audience? Yeah, there's actually a new series on Netflix uh, called uh, Connected. Uh, so there's, uh, it's like a documentary uh, about uh, different things in, in our world that are connected to each other. So there was a very interesting episode called Digits. Um, and that's about um, like a statistics law called Benford's Law. And uh, I wasn't familiar with this. It was a, a kind of a surprise to me. Uh, but that's something that is like unbelievable. Um, so basically, Benford's law says that if you take a large uh, set of, of natural numbers, if you take the first digit and do like a statistics of how many you have, like number one, two, three, it won't be uh, the same. Like uh, the frequency won't be the same. It will be like logarithmic and it's always the same. Like it's always the same frequency. And uh, one of the most interesting things about this, and uh, when they took it to social networks, um, let's say to Facebook, uh, they, they actually managed to, to find like bots and understand if like uh, profiles are actually, uh, if, they're, um, if they're real profiles, you know, just by looking at the statistics of the friends count that their friends had and that sounds like illogical, really? you know, taking some numbers of your friends count, the first digit, do some statistics, and you come up that it's a bot. But they actually did it and found many bots uh, in this way. And I found it amazing. But anyway, so, so that's called Benford's Law, right? Yeah, Benford's Law. Yeah, I'm going to read about it. It sounds interesting. And uh, Netflix, okay. I'll, yeah, it's very uh, interesting taking a note great so yeah and we're coming up uh, all right on our time now 
So, you know, let me just take this opportunity to thank you for your time and for the insights that you provided. It, it was a real pleasure, uh, you know, talking with you and I'm hoping that, you know, some of the insights that you provided will resonate with our listeners. Uh, I, I, I personally, I can say I'm learning with each and every conversation I, I have with uh, different CISOs. A lot, and as I said, a lot of the answers, uh, you know, they tend to repeat themselves. So it's my goal at the end, like to, to, uh, to publish uh, like an article with like key insights and maybe then take it a step further. I do think it provides a lot of value. Um, and, and again, thank you for your time and uh, a happy new year. Uh, Shana Tova. Happy new and, and yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we could uh, maybe get together in person, you know, sometime in the near future, hopefully. And whenever you're, you're around here, you know, I'll be happy to take you out uh, for a wheat beer. I can have a whiskey. And Next yeah. time I'm, I'm in San Francisco, we definitely meet. Yeah, looking forward to meeting you in person. Thank you so much, Yoni. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for joining us for another episode of CISO's Insiders. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more professional content, please check us out on social media.